Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. We're trying something new this morning. Uh, my wife texted this morning, um, as some of you know, she doesn't sleep, so she was w- working on it like some, I don't even know what time she gets up, five-ish or something, so she sends me a text saying, hey, do you want a coffee? And I, I don't drink that much coffee, I'll have at least one a day, but I never have them on Sundays because I don't want to be too amped up, but I said yes. I said, you know, let's try this, let's see how this goes. I'm, with coffee, I'm almost like people with alcohol. Uh, if you have it, then sometimes you start saying things you shouldn't say, and you go off in tangents you shouldn't go. So there's a chance that could happen this morning. So if it does, we're blaming it on the coffee. Um, we had our 24 hours of prayer, and uh, I had the first slot, and I go to bed early. So that wasn't a really wise idea on my part. Because the hour and a half, two hours leading up to it, I was like struggling to stay awake. So I had to move around, walk. So finally I got to that time of prayer. And this doesn't always happen. In fact, I'd say it happens very rarely. But this phrase came into my head as I was praying. And it was out of context and seemed like it came out of nowhere. And when it did, I recognized it as scripture. Well, I better start praying through this. So the, the, the phrase that came was, when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're doing with this one, but I just kept praying that. As I was going for my slot, I just kept praying through that. Saying, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Or I don't need to know what it means, but just kind of meditating on that, praying through it, trying to listen, but also praying for you, praying for our people, praying for my family, and then trying to then get to the point where I'm like, okay, Lord, what is this, what do you have for this for me? And then at the very end, I realized, oh, because that's what we're teaching on this Sunday. I don't know why I couldn't make that connection right away. <laughs> it took me half an hour to get to that point, but I got to the point where I realized, oh, you're, you're, you're teaching me what you want me to teach on Sunday. And so... In the context of that, this whole past week, I've had these situations, and I had one in particular with a friend of mine where he was probably the weakest I've ever seen. But remember that verse, that phrase that the Lord didn't just give me, he gave all of us in uh, 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then I am strong. And this friend of mine, um, he is one of the most gifted people I know. You know those people you look at? And you're like, why did God give that guy so much? Why did God give that girl so much and I'm just this? He's that guy. Um, okay, he's not good looking, but he has everything else. <laughs> he's very athletic. He's a musician. He's an artist. He's a writer. He walks into a room and he commands it. And he doesn't even try. He doesn't even have to. People are like, hey, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Uh, super funny, um, literally a comedian. Uh, he's just, he's amazing. But this, this has been a rough time for him. And um, 
made a major mistake. And in that mistake, everybody saw it, and it has fallen on him. And so he's not the kind of guy at this stage right now that can walk into the room and command. He, he even doesn't want to communicate to anyone about anything because he feels like such a failure. That's how it started. But then as he's gone through this process, he's just facing the truth. He's getting a, a clear picture of who he really is. He's still all of those things I just told you. But he also is also embracing that he's also weak and he's fragile. He's common and he's ordinary. Because the rest of us will look at someone like that and we'll go, they're extraordinary. But in his mind, his inner critic, that the one that keeps talking to him all the time says, oh, you blow it here, you fail here, you fail here. And that's why he fell. That's why he fell so dramatically because he was trying to cover it up. He was trying to cover it up with all this stuff. He still has all those gifts that God has given him, but he didn't appreciate him because he was so caught up in his weaknesses. But here's the crazy thing is I'm sitting with him. It was like the first time that I've seen him where it was, he was so bright it was hard to look at. And yet he was being honest with his failures. And that happens so often. As a pastor, I'll sit with people who have, I think of like my, my daughter when she was really small, and um, someone put this makeup all over her. Obviously, it wasn't a dude, some lady, you know, it wasn't mom. Someone put all this makeup all over her, and she looked beautiful. Well, let me rephrase that. She looked pretty. And it was as if when I'm sitting with all these people and we're doing this, this counseling or, or actual therapy or whatever it is, so many of them have been putting on makeup for so long, trying to look pretty to everybody else. And yet, it's when it's all scrubbed off and when they're being honest to themselves and to others that they become beautiful. My daughter without makeup is beautiful. She's pretty with it, but without it, I mean, she's who she really is. She's and I get to sit with my friend this week in the mall, and then I get to sit with couples, and when you see them talk about their weaknesses, and you see them be honest about how they're ordinary and common and plain, and that's the way they see themselves, then they become beautiful, so bright, it's like you can't look at them. It happens in your marriage when you're really honest with each other, and, when, and, and I've seen this in, in Stephanie at times where I'm like, you've never been more beautiful. She's like, yeah, but I'm like, no, this is stunning and so what we're going to look at this morning as we look here is this transformation that happens in God's people when they realize and truly understand that when they are weak they're going to be strong so I want to show you where this comes from um, it comes from 2nd Corinthians so that verse that was in my head comes from 2nd Corinthians and this is the NIV version that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want you to, in the, I want you to pause, and as we're going through this, I want you to just be real and honest, and we all have that inner critic. And he or she is talking right now. 
and will probably talk for, to you for the rest of your life. But you have to choose who you're going to listen to. Is that the voice you're going to listen to? Or are you going to hear that twisting, manipulating distortion from your inner critic of the truth and instead not listen to that voice but listen to God and be honest with those around you and look at yourself for who you really are. Because when you see yourself as normal, whatever word you want to do, ordinary, plain, common, whenever you look at that, I want you to see that that is beautiful. It's beautiful because then you're able to have God indwell you in his fullness. Nothing gets in the way. And then we become so bright that it's hard for people to look at us. But it's not for that purpose. It's for blessing others. And so when Paul is saying this, he's saying, look, I delight in my weaknesses now. I don't look at him and like, oh, I'm not good at this. I'm bad at that. Like, he's going, you know what? This is who I am. I make mistakes all the time. I've blown it here. I blew it here. But he doesn't let it hold him back anymore. He's just, he has a true picture of himself. And as he lays that before God, then God can really use him. And God can really fill him. And this is all through scripture. This happens time and time again when people are honest and they have a clear picture of themselves that God just steps in and then something amazing happens. And so we're going to look here at Acts chapter 4. We read, uh, Kirsten read it, what happened prior to this in Acts chapter 3. But we're going to see a place where people are looking in at another human being and they're astonished. They're in awe. And they recognize them as ordinary and common, but something's happening. Something different has come about. And so that's what happens here. So Peter, um, right, after he, um, right after he heals this man that we talked about in Acts chapter 3 just a little bit ago, after this man is healed and all these people start surrounding him and John, because him and John are walking, they heal this man, and everybody's surrounding them. And so they're surrounding them. Because they're like, oh, the gods have come down, so to speak. And, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 I'm just a man. Don't you guys realize we're just guys? You think this came from us? You think we could do something like this? No, God did that. And so then everyone's coming, and, and then he starts talking about Jesus, as you would expect. So Peter starts talking about Jesus, and then the ruling council gets word of this, and they say, go arrest those guys. So Peter and John now get arrested, and they come before this ruling council. And this ruling council is the council, the Sanhedrin council. It's, it's the bosses. These are the same ones that just a little bit earlier are the ones that Jesus came before and the ones that condemned him to death. So these same people, this is the ruling council that we're going to hear about. And it says here that as Peter and John are in front of this council, they start talking to them. Saying, hey, what we've done, God did that. You think we did that? God did that. And he did it in the name of Jesus. And then he starts talking about Jesus. And he starts, he's not telling them, like he's on trial right now. But he doesn't act like it. Peter steps up and he's like, you guys should have known better. This is Jesus the Messiah and you killed him. Like he's like stepping into this. The same people that had Jesus put to death. And he walks up like he's not even afraid. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, that word courage, it, it, it means confidence or boldness. But the, the other thing it means that I think is appropriate here is freedom. How often in your life do you see some opportunity or someone says, hey, could you do this? And you're like, whoa, 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 I couldn't do that. And in the back of your mind, that inner critic saying, yeah, you know what you said. You know what you've done. You're too weak. If you try this, you'd blow it. Why even, why even start? Why even get involved? You're going to blow it. And so when it says that this ruling council, they saw courage, they saw confidence, they saw boldness, they saw freedom. They see the courage of Peter and John, and they realize that they were unschooled and ordinary men. So there's two words that are being here. Uneducated, which means literally, you guys didn't go to school, which is a big negative in this culture. You're unlearned, you're illiterate, and it's like a shameful thing. So they're looking down. This is a ruling council. They're kind of big deal. And people that think they're a big deal, that put all the makeup on, they, want, they, they, they have the same inner critic by the way, the same inner critic because they don't want to feel ordinary or common, so they try to put things on to make themselves feel like more. And so they have all these things, and they're looking down on these men going, well, not even, they're not even educated. But then it says here, you see it where it says ordinary. Well, ordinary, that word means to be common, to be plain, to be ungifted, or another way to say it is to be a nobody. Because they're looking at these men and they're going, these guys are nobodies. But they're astonished. They're not astonished because like, hey, you guys are out of your place. You should be here. You should be there. It says they were astonished because they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, when that phrase is actually a phrase that's used often in this culture. So it's like an idiom. And it means these guys were companions of Jesus. They experienced life together with Jesus. But they were astonished. It also means when it says that they, they took note, or in some of your translations say realized, that means that they re recognized him. Because, you see, they had seen Peter and John before. This isn't their first time seeing Peter and John. They saw them when Jesus was there. So they're like, wait, wait, wait. It's coming to us now. These are the same two guys. They didn't recognize them right away. Because they don't seem like the same person. You ever seen that in, in someone before? Where you see them later in life, and I don't mean they look old and wrinkly or they got fat or they got skinny. I mean, they just don't seem like the same person. And so this ruling council, they see Peter and John and like, wait, we recognize them. They're common and they're ordinary because we remember them. We remember when Jesus came and he was before us and they were there. These fishermen, these nobodies. I see their faces, but it can't be the same people. Do they have twins? Do they have brothers? Because it couldn't be the same people. When you, when you see someone that is in Christ, the old has passed, the new has come, and it's real. The people that we've had up sharing during these past few weeks, they're not the same people they were before. When I see people that I went to elementary school or when I see people I went to high school with or even to college before, they'll even say it to me like, you're just not the same dude. Almost like, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or more often, it's like, what's right with you? Have you ever seen an old video of yourself? 
for those of you that are in Christ, because let's be honest, not everyone here is a follower of Christ. We got that. But if you're a follower of Christ and you look at an old video of yourself, it's amazing what God does over time. As you're a companion with Jesus over time, I saw this VHS tape that lets you know how old I am. And I'm in college, and we did this, like, news thing. And so it was all the outtakes. And not like the funny gag reel. I mean, just things that didn't work. And I'm looking at it, and it was, that inner critic for me was going, he was yelling. Like, look at what a jerk he is. I'm sitting there being interviewed for this thing, like, a, as a team, a group project. We did this newscast. And in the newscast, I'm the lead um, guy or whatever, and I'm sitting in his grass. And the way I talk for the rest of my team, I embarrassed him. I was like, oh, that was me? Oh. Now, that doesn't mean I'm still not a jerk today. Okay, let's be honest. We all are. Because that's ordinary. That's normal. You look at Peter and John, you're like, oh, look at them. Look how amazing they are. Look at what they did. These are ordinary guys. They didn't just turn into angels. They're still jacked. Peter still has a temper. He's still a mess in certain ways. And if he looked back, Peter, we'll focus on Peter. We're not getting too much into John. We only have enough time to talk about Peter. But if Peter looks back, he's going to see what these guys on the ruling council saw. You remember Peter, right? Like, he's the other one. He's the same person that when Jesus said, look, I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be on trial, and they're going to kill me, and you guys are all going to turn away. You know what Peter said? Oh, no, 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 no. Everyone else is going to turn away. Of course, he puts everybody else down. But not me. I'm going to be there with you to the end. But we all know that didn't happen. But you could just see this immature. He does not have a clear picture of who he is. He doesn't have good self-realization. It's like, ooh. It's almost like he's looking back at the video. Um, Jesus, at another time, said, okay, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain by itself alone. But if it dies, it's going to bear much fruit. And he's trying to describe, like, I need to go to the cross. And then Peter steps in and tells Jesus, you can't do that. No, 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 that's, stop saying that. That's not going to happen. We got your back. That's ridiculous. Again, foolish. And so he steps into this situation like any ordinary, common person, like any of what we would do steps in and goes, no, 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 and then Jesus says, get behind me. Like, you have the things of man on your mind. You need to know what the heart of God is. This needs to happen. And then we see another time when the, the whole army's coming to grab Jesus. The, they're coming to grab him, and Peter picks up a sword and takes a guy's ear off. Okay, Jesus has already told him, all this is going to happen. What are you doing? This is the common ordinary man, the untrained man that this ruling council knew, the hothead, the guy with a temper, the guy that, that was just kind of a jerk. And you may see yourself that same way. You need to know the difference between seeing yourself honestly and criticizing yourself. You know how we know these stories really well about Peter? Because Peter told them to Mark. And if you look in the Gospel of Mark, what you're really hearing is Peter giving his testimony. He's sharing what's happening. 
And that's why you see Peter not looking so good. Because Peter is looking back and he sees who he used to be. But he also knows a lot of that old has passed. But when the old has passed, it doesn't mean that you're just transformed and you're not still ordinary. It doesn't mean you don't still sin. It doesn't mean you still don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you still don't have quirks that really bug people. Okay, at Thanksgiving, one of the things that probably came up is like, oh, man, got to be with that family. If I have to be with that person, they're going to say that one thing, and she's going to get to me. Just to make you feel better, there's someone saying the same thing about you. Because you're ordinary, and they're ordinary, and that's just the way it is. Don't expect it to be different. God is going to transform you, but you're still going to be normal. That's okay. So stop beating yourself up about it. I talk too much. I talk too little. I've got a temper. I, I let people walk all over me. Whatever your thing is, whatever your things are, they're like thorns, right? That's what Paul talks about. He says, I had this thorn in me, and I wanted God to take it away. But then God said, no, no, I gave this to you to keep you humble so that you could rely on me. So stop complaining about those things and embrace them. Go, Lord, whatever you want to take away, take away. But if it's still here, I'm guessing you need me to have this still. Because imagine if he took it all away. No one could ever relate with you. Because you wouldn't be ordinary. You'd be extraordinary. Those don't exist. What happens is, is we start to realize we're common. And that's not a bad thing. That's what we're trying to get across here this morning. Is that God has always used the ordinary. Because every person is ordinary. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're still common and we're ordinary. And that's okay. In fact, so Peter now has, has the spirit filling him. He goes and he heals this man with John. And then everybody's surrounding him, surrounding Peter. And then he says, why do you stare at us, stare at us as if by our power we did this? Like, we're normal people. Paul has to do the same thing later. He says, whoa, whoa, I'm just a messenger from God. If, if you're hearing anything good, anything extraordinary, it's coming from him. I'm just a jar of clay. And I'm carrying around this treasure. But I'm clay. I'm plain. I'm fragile. And God made it that way. God made it that way so that nobody would look and go, oh, Paul. Because once they get close to Paul, they're going to realize, oh, you're pretty normal. Yeah, but we're normal. We're like jars of clay, but we carry around this treasure that way. That way people know that this beauty is from God and not from us, which is the same thing that Peter says. As a leader, when we bring on interns or we bring on staff, I tell them right away, I say, look, from a distance, I'm going to seem impressive. From a distance. Oh, look at these shoes. Oh, look at this. I heard these stories. And then they get to know me. And I have to tell them ahead of time so there's no shock. I'm impressive from a distance, but when you come up close, oh, I'm ordinary. In fact, I'm probably a little below ordinary. But you need to know that ahead of time. That's nothing for us to be embarrassed about. It's something for us to embrace. We are jars of clay. And because of that, when we admit that, oh, one, the pressure's off. You don't have to try to be something that's impossible to be. You can just relax and say, okay, God, if anything great's going to happen, it's going to come from you. So they recognize them as having been with Jesus, companions 
with Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what a church is supposed to be. It's a bunch of common, ordinary people that are walking with each other and especially trying to walk with Jesus. Saying, Lord, whatever you want to do, you do it. And we listen to that voice, not the inner critic saying, oh, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. I can't do that. The pro- I, di- I didn't have this in the notes to share, but I'll, I'll, I'll start to close with this. We shared on August 11th all the change that's coming. And one of the things we said is that we're going to, me and a friend, we're going to try to start this business. Because we've been, as a church, been waiting for some business to say, come meet here. So we don't have to meet in the harbor and then move to Shortcliffs and then move here and hope we don't have to move again. But it's never happened. <laughs> we keep waiting. We're 10 years in. Still hasn't happened. So we're like, all right, let's go start this business. Let me be very honest with you. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I hear that inner voice all the time going, what do you think you're doing? Like, yeah, that's well, what do you know about real estate? What do you know about this? What do you know about that? And I just have to keep, we get together, and before we do anything, like, I have to pray. Like, God, this has to be you. It's crazy what he's been doing. I can't share it with you any details because I don't want to get your hopes up. But it's amazing what God can do through ordinary people. That's how you need to see yourself, as a vessel, for God to come in and do the amazing. So I want to close with this. Your weakness is an invitation. Your weakness, your common, your ordinary is an invitation to discover God's strength. Like that's the beauty of walking with Jesus. As you walk with him, you begin to trust him more. As you trust him more, you get to see what he can do through you. And that's why it's so easy when you're walking as a companion of Jesus and experiencing that, then when people go, oh, you were so good here, or that was so, you're such an amazing person. You can, with all honesty, not fake humility, go, oh, trust me, it's not me. If, there's, if you saw that, that is God working through me. And I know that because I know myself. So I want to close with this verse. It's the verse that we already read, the one in 2 Corinthians, but I want to read it from the message. Because I think, well, this is going to be our, our close and our closing prayer all at once. And then I want to um, do something different. So this is from the message translation, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I want to send you at the end of the message as a prayer to hear these words from Paul. Because of the extravagance of those revelations, the revelations that Paul had, these visions that he was able to see. He said, and so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. 
now I take limitation in stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So what we're going to do is uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And so when you're taking communion, I want us to remember that Christ died for us. It was his body which was broken for us. And it's his blood which was shed for us. And that sets us free. He paid the price. The punishment's been taken care of. So stop punishing yourself because you've been set free. But before that, um, I want to bring up someone ordinary. I want to bring up somebody common. But I also want to bring up someone who carries around a treasure. So I've asked Jim to kind of close the message. So you please welcome up Jim, our ordinary common friend. So, I get it why God had Boogie bring me up here with his description of Peter being a complete knucklehead and often shoving his foot down his throat, using intimidation to get things done. I identify with those things. I... When I was growing up, I had a I had a dad in the house, and he was just not really connected, or he was pretty absent. So, my positive role models in like a male aspect was Clint Eastwood, um, maybe a little Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and um, I was pretty confident that that's what that's how you were a man. You know, that's like, that's that's what men did. Went in and knocked heads and got things done. Um, physical confrontation was like, wasn't a big deal for me. I didn't, I didn't mind it. It cut through the n- unnecessary pleasantries. So that's just the way I grew up. And then I had a bunch of friends that did the exact same thing so it seemed right and then uh, years later I had this little girl and it's like man I'm not going to be a much I'm not going to be around to see her if I keep doing this so God gave me a child when I was 20 to slow my roll and I was just an ordinary guy doing ordinary tough guy things at least that's what I thought I look back now and I realize that just had God's hand of protection on me because I'm not as tough as I think I am and through like raising a child and having responsibilities and a wife 
that said, hey, we should go to church or something. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I faked it for a while. And then I was at work listening to Pastor Chuck Smith. And then later on listening to, like, at the end of the night when I was closing up work, pouring down rain in a fuel truck, like, crying my eyes out. I was like, man, I'm so wrong with this, and you're so right. I think I'm going to do it your way. And so that began the journey I'm on now, trying to be an ordinary guy that God can use. successful I am at that um, it's still easier to use intimidation to get things done in my house um, so I'm working on it but I my that same gift that was given to me 25 years ago uh, she she doesn't know how to use a phone other than FaceTime so she FaceTimes me yesterday, and I missed it and returned it. And She told me about a movie she was watching, Miracle, um, 1980 U.S. hockey team. Right? It's one of my personal favorites. And uh, she, just, she said she laughed the whole time because it was like watching a movie about your dad coaching a team, which she got to do because I coached my other daughter on a team. So there were a lot of parallels. And one of the things that she said really stuck out was the name on the front of your shirt is way more important than the one on the back of your shirt. And I it stuck out like it I woke up thinking about it today at five thirty in the morning. It's like that's a profound statement in the situation we're all in together. The name on the front, the one we carry as a, as a servant, as a Christian, as, a, as someone who's supposed to love others, is far more important than the one that's on the back of our shirt. And I think uh, that we would be better served working for the front. trying to make a solid effort to do all the things that the front of the shirt requires as whether you want to think of it as a team or even as that individual ordinary person